Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have a really cool episode for you. Just like every week, every week we say, hey, this is a really cool episode. <laughs> they're but all cool. They're all really cool. And this one's especially cool because it involves dried meats, which is one of my favorite things. We spoke with Nick Mendoza, who is the CEO of a company called One for Neptune, and they created fish jerky that mm. is made from... 100% sustainable wild-caught rockfish. And uh, we had some, we ordered some, and it came to us literally like an hour before we recorded. So we got a bunch of people around, and we opened them all up. We tried three different flavors that they supply, and they were all very delicious. And then- They we, were big hits at the lunch table. Yeah, and then we got a chance to talk to Nick about his story. He's got some really good stories about where the name came from, how he figured out that he wanted to do fish jerky, and uh, they actually became the number one food product on Kickstarter last summer. Yeah. So big deal. It was a big deal. And it's delicious and healthy, and uh, we really enjoyed it, and the conversation's super cool. Yeah. yeah, and GA has a soft spot for Nick because he is one of our 30 under 30 members. So it's pretty cool that he has risen to such success. Yeah, in a sh- very short amount of time. I don't even think he real- knew that this was going to take off as quickly as it as it did. Right. But yeah. he's doing a great thing and it doesn't really surprise me that it is moving in the direction that it is. Yeah, it's a really cool product. We really enjoyed talking with Nick about it and hearing his journey and his story. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Some of our listeners probably already have because of how popular it's becoming. If not, check it out. In the episode, um, Nick does talk about a few of the um, retailers that are selling this, one of the big ones being Amazon, the other one being their website. Um, It is a West Coast located company, so there are more stores out West um, that supply this, but definitely all of us have... The internet, for yeah, the most we part, we bought it from Amazon and it came in two days and it was it was really good. So with that, I hope you all enjoy the episode and we'll talk to you at the end. Let's talk about seafood. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We're sitting down with Nick Mendoza, who is the uh, founder and CEO of One for Neptune. He's also one of our 30 under 30 members. Members. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's kind of a highlighted member of GAA right now, and he's done some really cool things. How's it going, Nick? Great. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah. We're, it's good to have you. We're awesome. We're awesome. This is awesome, and we're super happy to have you here. I wanted to make sure I got you on this show because you have a really cool story and you have a really cool product. So before we get into what your product is and what you guys actually do, and it's it's delicious, by the way, we just tried it. <laughs> Take us back um, and tell us your story, who you are, where you came from, and you know how you got to where you are. Yeah, sure thing. So we're going all the way to the beginning. So I, I grew up mostly in San Diego, California, so kind of grew, grew my love for the ocean there, I think but also partly on a cattle ranch in New Mexico. Um, I'm actually calling in from Santa Fe. So kind of a surf and turf upbringing. I think, you know, my, I come from a family of farmers and ranchers on my, my dad's side, but, you know, I grew love for the ocean. So when I went off um, to undergrad at Stanford, I ended up studying environmental and marine resources. So I've, I've always been a fish nerd. I, you know, <laughs> I could name, by the time I was 12, I could name like every marine fish and, you know, kept little, logs of the ones I'd caught and all that sort of thing. But, you know, ultimately did a, did a program that had some economics, some environmental, environmental science, environmental resources, and then <clears throat> kind of marine biology. And in doing those three sort of multidisciplinary tracks, I came across a course in aquaculture. The first year they offered it, it was like, you know, the class was kind of half full because nobody really knew what it was. And that was so eye-opening for me because you know, I was reading things like, you know, fastest growing food industry on earth, both the number of new species coming online, the, the potential to create sustainable food for the planet, you know, whether it be macroalgaes, uh, bivalves, finfish, but also every reading that we were assigned ended with the future of this industry will be inhibited by a lack of trained professionals entering the space. And to me, that was just like, oh my gosh, this is a combination of these three things that I care about. You know, I've was always sort of business minded, but love science and, and really love fish. So jumping forward, I ended up going to the University of Sterling 
Institute of Aquaculture um, in Scotland. Where is, where's, oh, in Scotland. I was going to say, where is that? I don't know where that is. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the, the leading institution for sustainable aquaculture and did a master's there. My course was amazing. So there were 45 students, like 25 nationalities. Um, wow. So there were, you know, a dozen European nations, many Asian and, and African nations represented. I was actually the only North American, which is too funny. And Oh, wow. And, uh, you know what? I would believe that. <laughs> go figure, right? And I was the only, it was the only place I applied. I was so sure I wanted to go there after my, my Stanford advisor, Roz Naylor, who's really important in the space, said, you know, this is where you want to go. So I mean, there was actually only one South American, and his last name was also Mendoza. So we called oh, of course. Pri- wow. Pri- primo. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I, you know, I'm so excited about... Um, everything I was learning, you know, I was so into the material at one point, I even like pulled a, a double all nighter, ironically formulating nutritionally perfect feeds for species like tilapia and shrimp. And meanwhile, like I wasn't even getting up from my desk to eat because <laughs> I was, I was so into the material, but, um, finished the program, had a pretty impactful, uh, master's thesis that is now being continued by a PhD student working with shrimp and Central America, but ended up back again working for Stanford in Monterey, uh, the Tuna Research and Conservation Center, because they were beginning some projects doing formulated feeds for yellowtail and um, bluefin tuna that replaced a lot of the fish meal with microbial proteins and yep. um, and other. I thought this is perfect, and there are these intentions of possibly using that to to start a company that was producing a really sustainable formulated feed. But after kind of a couple of years of working through and then successfully completing those projects and then along the way doing a lot of other pretty cool stuff, I, I was fortunate enough to do a few Trans-Pacific sailing trips um, for research, oh, um, tagging mm-hmm. tagging sharks and bluefin tuna and oh, so all the cool. kind of the coolest marine bio stuff. But um, at the end of the day, I was feeling disappointed that the impact of the research wasn't leading to that next step, you know, actually mm. impacting industry, actually touching on the things I really care about, which are the sustainability of seafood, waste and inefficiency in seafood and making it easier for people to, to Consume. access mm. high quality, sustainable fish. It's so healthy for you, you know, in terms of resource intensity, whether it's a well-managed wild fishery or a sustainably farmed seafood item, it's just like far and away so much better than many of our other ways of growing food. So I kind of up and left everything, my, my whole life, my, um, my friend group, my job, even my girlfriend at the time Oh no! in, in Monterey, you know, we're still friends. It's all good. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave her name out of it. But, um, so I, I wasn't sure what to do or where, you know, where I was going to go next, but I knew caring about food. I, I could move back to my family's cattle ranch and start working on uh, organic certification, grass-fed certification, and maybe farm to table or some value-added products from the beef. And at that point, considered beef jerky. I knew it was like a booming space and people are more interested in, you know, regeneratively grown and kind of holistically managed food that you can tell the story around. But as soon as I looked into the category, it was like, you know, it's like a $3 billion space, the meat meat snack category, 4% growth in beef jerky sales, something like 200% growth in things like turkey, bison, and salmon jerkies, which were were kind of brand new. And that was sort of the light bulb moment. It was, I was actually um, mending fences on the ranch when the thought of fish jerky first hit me. And, And also knowing that there's so many undervalued and underutilized sources of fish. You know, we have such a narrow diet when it comes to seafood. I, I'm sure this statistic isn't quite right, but it's like the top 10 species we consume represent like 80 plus percent of, you know, the total, to, even though there's hundreds, if not thousands of, of possible um, species and sources of, of seafood. So those things all sort of came together in my mind. And I started thinking about what the best sourcing model would be for a product like this. And then ultimately like, can I make something that actually tastes good? <laughs> I'm pretty right. sure. I, we... I got to Go tell you. To... So, so here's the thing. We wanted to make sure that we tasted this before we got you on the show. So we could talk about what it tastes like. And I've had, I was just telling this to Justin and Maddie. I've had salmon jerky before where you kind of take a bite out of it. And it's kind of like this soft break in in your mouth and it is very fishy. And I really didn't like it. And that's what I was expecting. <laughs> 
to be honest. I was expecting it to taste like the salmon jerky I had. So we ordered it on Monday. We ordered a, a variety pack of all three. You only have three flavors right now? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so it, we had we tried, we tried them all about we an had. hour ago. I was amazed at how delicious it was and how non-fishy it tasted. I mean, it tastes just, it tastes like beef jerky. Um, you get a little bit of the fishy aftertaste. We can go into what, what it tastes like and what the um, flavors, how different the flavors are later. But yeah, I was really surprised. I mean, that's a that's quite a feat to make something <laughs> Thank you very like much. this that, that actually tastes good and people yeah. would keep going back to. Your worry of making something that actually tastes good <laughs> is definitely, you should not worry about that yeah. anymore because it tastes amazing. We'll get it, well, I'm we'll, worried we'll when get I get into back to the office, like there'll be none left. <laughs> no, we'll say plenty, plenty more where that came from. <laughs> that's Given, it's that's coming good. from a sustainable source, yeah. so there's you know it's it's replenishable and <laughs> <That's great. laughs> we're making plenty of it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to cut you off, but uh, is now a good time to kind of jump into how you came up with the name and what this product is. I'm really curious about how long it took you to almost perfect these recipes for yeah. this flavor. Was that easy? Was that hard? Were you making beef jerky before? You said you were looking into that as as a business model. Were you actually making it at the time? No. So when I ordered my first little kind of commercial dehydrator, uh, which I actually sold a couple cattle on the ranch because I've had a small herd. You know, every year I'd work the -hmm. summer at the ranch and I'd get one calf. And so I literally like divested from beef into fish jerky. (laughs) But I had not I had not made jerky before. I do cook a lot my whole life. I've I've always cooked a lot. But I think what expedited the process most is that I kind of approached it like a scientist, you know, coming from a scientific background. Mm -hmm. And so every time I did a test batch, you know, there was like 10 trays triplicated, you know, I changed one ingredient here, one there in different quantities. And I kept really copious notes. So after, you know, maybe a a month or so of making some really, really bad, terrible (laughs) fish jerky, you know, better served as a leather belt than uh, something to eat. <laughs> it came together pretty quick. And when when I debuted sort of my home recipe that I finally felt was, you know, good enough that somebody outside could taste, uh, yeah. I was actually at Fish 2.0, the um, global seafood innovation forum. Yep. And we had made it through all the rounds and I was nervous. I kind of, I felt like some imposter syndrome you know, the, the guy before me is pitching this amazing company, converting methane into usable protein for the aquaculture industry and is raising, you know, how many tens of millions of dollars. And here's Nick with his fish jerky idea. But um, ultimately. But everybody the, loves the, jerky. I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the samples that I brought, they were gone in 15 minutes, you know, as wow. soon as they were put out. And then the pitch actually ended up getting second in the audience vote of, of the short oh, nice. pitches and so that was That's like great. the first validation where i almost got goosebumps now thinking about it because yeah. i had so much doubt and then that moment sort of solidified the idea enough that i felt confident even to bring on my co-founder so garrett uh we were undergrad together best friends he's a cfo of a big commercial estate company in southern california and ultimately left because he felt like he wanted to do something more mission driven and impactful with his his life and so the timing of that was pretty amazing i literally called him on the way to the airport from that pitch and said, this has happened. You know, I know you've kept up with what I'm doing. Would you be interested in coming on board? And he said, absolutely. Nice. And then um, my other co-founder, James, I met at a wedding in Sri Lanka, believe it or not, wow. um, which was uh, one of my best friends from the master's degree in Sterling. I was going to say from Sterling program. Probably. Yeah, it was, um, but she's actually Australian. Her now husband is Indian and they sort of met in the middle between the UK and Indian and Australian family in Sri Lanka, which was a pretty amazing thing. But um, James has a lot of experience building businesses in the online space. He's sort of a serial entrepreneur and yeah, it just kind of worked really well. And yeah, so he works remotely from from Portugal now. But, you know, the team came together after that. uh, And then we thought, okay, it's time to really get serious about this. You know, the three of us can put both our our energies together, but also put some money behind going to one of the top uh, food labs in the country in Portland to make sure that this product is market ready, that we, you know, nutritionally it's, it's maximized and, um, you know, shelf life, all those sorts of things that you need to think about before bringing a product to market. So 
Uh, we fully relocated to Portland, slept on couches for a few months while we were kind of working hand in hand uh, with the food lab. You, you kind of have to do that though, right? That's like, <laughs> yeah, it's almost I, like a rite of passage, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, you learn so much and also you, you know, you feel like you're in the hustle, you're in the yeah. the grind of trying to bring this thing to market. Right. And so that, that would have been about March last year. And at that point we felt, you know, we're, we're, we're there. We, if we get the packaging together, let's launch this with a Kickstarter where we, we try to bring as many eyes to this as possible and spend a lot of time preparing it with a goal of launching in at first May. And then, it, then it became June and then it became eventually we launched in August. Um, That's how that works too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, part of that was that we unexpectedly got an order for 20,000 packets to fulfill a subscription box. Oh. ahead of our launch <laughs> and we were like can we do this is this possible you know the recipe's ready we think we can do the packaging but it literally came down to almost hours like we drew, <laughs> we rented oh a u-haul loaded it up ourselves in uh, south of seattle where we were produced and drove 23 straight hours through this was when like oregon and northern california were on fire so we're like driving through walls of flames with in a U-Haul. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. You could have left the, the fish out and it could have just, uh, you know, dehydrated that way. <laughs> yeah, you should have yeah, brought, right. brought some, uh, just slap it out on the, just out in the cook open it in, while you're Cook it, it in route, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what the, the HACCP plan would look like for that one. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we delivered it on time and then um, kind of recoup from the, the crazy stress of, of getting that done. But when we ultimately did launch, we ended up hitting our goal in six hours, doubling it in 24. And for the summer, it became the number one Kickstarter food project on earth. Which Wait, was was like, that, what year was that? Uh, August. Was, so that was la- last year, last about a year, year ago. Last year. So last It'll summer. It'll be a year ago. Last summer, yeah. you were the number one food project on Kickstarter, food related. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember the- when you guys launched, Nick, and I remember we were just at GAA refreshing the Kickstarter and be- watching the numbers go up, and we were just like, this is crazy. It was <laughs> amazing. Like fish jerky of all things. And yeah. I think, well, I think you know, it's we, so I re- intriguing to people. Like It's so different, and it's one of those things. It's like, I'm not sure if I would try that or not, but I really want to. <laughs> you know, like I may not like it, but I really want to say that I've tried it, one of those things. Well, I think think, of it as when you were working on the ranch, when you had the light bulb go off in your head and it was that connection of, okay, 4% of the market is in beef jerky, but all these other ones are growing so rapidly like turkey and these maybe leaner, a little bit more healthier alternatives. And then saying, well, your love for the sea, your love for the land, how do you kind of combine that? And that allowed you to come up with fish jerky and that you know you think of consumers and they're looking at the packaging and this day and age people are looking for like a health benefit but also a snack and you're kind of hitting it from all levels and it's just i mean these results show it it's show the impact yeah healthy snacks are hard to get you know yeah when you're looking to snack on something is almost no healthy options besides like fresh fruit and stuff like that i mean Mm -hmm. so i'm a little i'm also curious about uh how hard was it to you for you to find once you wanted to go full bore, finding a producer, finding the type of fish, like how did you go? What was that process like? Yeah, I mean, quite a long one. You know, there were big challenges, every one of those things you mentioned. And I think the one thing that helped us put the piece, pieces together and really was like the reason that we were able to solve it and find manufacturing capacity, find our um, supply and sourcing was just as passionate as we all are about it, talking to, to everybody, you know, yeah. so you meet somebody on a plane, you you just can't stop talking about how much you care about what you're trying to build. Yeah. And ultimately, our, our co-packer that we found, which is, you know, really one in a million because we've been reaching out to all these jerky manufacturers, co-packers, and, you know, they, they produce lots of jerky, but they don't have the accreditation to process fish and they don't want it. They, you know, they don't want fish right. in their facilities. And then on the other side of the coin, when we were speaking with, you know, smokehouses and fish processors, they didn't have a lot of the machinery that we needed to produce a shelf-stable package, you know, rotary packaging machine, nitrogen-flushed jerky. So that was sort of the the crossroads we were stuck at with a product that's kind of new. So we found our manufacturer, believe it or not, it was an agency we were talking to about helping run some of the ads for the launch of our Kickstarter 
who went to college with the now president of East Coast Seafood Company that had a salmon jerky. And that guy was kind enough to just say, I love what you guys are doing, even though technically we're competitive, but great, you know, big white industry, fish love. And he, he gave us the contact that ultimately became our our manufacturer. That's awesome. It's all about who you know. Yeah, exactly. And then um, to touch on the sourcing side, you know, the U.S. West Coast ground fish fishery is pretty consolidated from a fisheries perspective for, sorry, from a processing perspective. Um, So we pretty quickly realized that that's where you want to go because it doesn't really suit a fisherman, for example, when we were thinking initially about going direct from boats, if you can only buy, you know, a quarter of his catch and then you've got to figure Mm. out how and where you're processing it. But if you can source in such a way that you're maximizing the use of undervalued cuts and fillets. So, you know, we often are sourcing undersized or triangular cuts or when a, there's a particularly low demand for certain rockfish. And that kind of augments the movement of, of fisheries catch. So yeah. um, focusing in on, on these undervalued uh, species and, and fillets was really important to building our model. As um, we had previously tested, you know, everything from cod and pollock to ling cod and, and other U.S. West Coast species, yep. even even some um, sustainably farmed species, which we're still con- looking into some operations around the country that say they have they do have undersized fish that that could be a source for us or even a sturgeon farm that said, you know, they harvest the caviar and the demand for the actual flesh of the surgeon isn't high enough. So there's, yeah, there's other, not, opportunities. Yeah. so without going too much astray from what we were talking about, it just took a lot of kind of perseverance and the network that I already had also from being in science and advocacy um, mm-hmm. with all the kind of nonprofits involved in ocean stuff really helped. And just being open to asking everybody that would listen, like, Hey, do you have 20 minutes to just chat and create sort of a spider web of, of connections that, have been really useful. Cool. When you were trying out some of these other species, like you said, you tried cod and a couple other species. Did you find that it didn't quite fit the bill like rockfish did in regards to flavor, texture, things like that? Or was it more sourcing was the issue? I would say many of them worked well with the recipe we had developed. There were only a couple that that didn't quite do it texture wise and taste wise, but really part of the reason that we were so sure, you know, rockfish is where, where we want to start is that it's, the fishery is such a Cinderella story of proper management and recovery and kind of stakeholders coming together to peel what was previously an overexploited fishery. And now what we're seeing is the abundance is going through the roof. There's tons of fish in the water that they're not even coming close to meeting uh, the catch quotas. And so we viewed that as a perfect example to tell a story around what global fisheries could look like if we set up uh, the right regulations and enforcement and attention to what all the stakeholders need and want. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's where we ended up there. And I think it's important to be able to tell that story, whether you're talking about wild caught fish, because so if you look at, you know, some of the ads we run on social media or, you know, the comments, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people saying, well, don't you guys realize that all of our global fisheries are, are gone or collapsed and mm-hmm. we shouldn't eat any fish. And, you know, farmed fish are the devil, obviously. And, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things. Yeah, geez. <laughs> and the kind of the joy for me, you know, they say, you guys should really talk to a, a marine biologist about this because, you know, <laughs> you're talking <laughs> you about sustainability. Yeah, exactly. Hey. So I, I can <laughs> link to, you know, an op-ed I wrote or, you know, just kind of the background on the story of, of what it really means to be sourcing from a sustainable fishery and the potential for us to do that more broadly with with other global fisheries and there's a lot of effort being put into restructuring in, in different areas of the world. So we wanted to give an example and now like flashing back to when I was still in science and I was, it's like, how do you really create that interface with consumers and with people that want to eat fish, but have heard these things like we shouldn't eat any fish. We, mm. um, whether it's wild or farmed or specially farmed, which we don't even have to get into. <laughs> that we get into but, that uh, enough on most of our episodes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, fig- <laughs> I figured, I figured. Yeah, so it's it's so cool to have now a platform to do that. And when people care and you can say like, oh, wow, you know, you've really shown me and I, I understand. Yeah. That's super Justin, valuable. Was that your dog? Yeah. I was hoping he would be quiet for most of the... <laughs> <laughs> it's bound to happen again. Once he unleashes one bark, it's never, it's never over. 
one thing that I noticed too, I was combing through the website, which is gorgeous, by the way. Um, yeah, easy Justin, to navigate. Justin couldn't stop talking about your website. Um, <laughs> I used to develop a few of those myself. So when I see ones that are well done, it's gives me goosebumps. <laughs> uh, but I, I noticed nerd, on your nerd on alert. Your yeah, nerd alert. <laughs> it's the small things in life. Uh, I noticed on your packaging, you do have. Let's see if I got this right. Uh, find my fish. So uh, mm. and that's huge within the seafood industry, just with traceability and things of that nature. So. Could you just talk a little bit about why you have that and, and what consumers can do if they buy a package of your jerky and what what is the find my fish? Yeah, absolutely. So in line with everything that was important to us about talking about and working actively to reduce waste in, in seafood streams, the other big piece of you know major challenge in global wild caught seafood is traceability and fraud, especially yep. with white flesh fish. I know Oceana did a huge meta study, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with, that found you know rates of, of fraud and mislabeling, um, yeah. particularly in species like grouper and snapper, mm-hmm. being as high as like 68% in some cases um, in different markets, which without traceability, you have no way of knowing or preventing unethical seafood, you know, socially or environmentally. Which is why it can get up to levels like that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. No one's, who's going who's gonna to check them? You know, yeah, and that you know, and we import ninety percent of our seafood in the United States from overseas. A very <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't like that. He's I'm angry about it too. He's, he's angry. <laughs> he's like he's asking me if his dog food is traceable. <laughs> well, that would be wonderful. Um, <laughs> someday, someday, buddy. Yeah, and a very very small like I, I want to say one or two percent can be traced back to the fishermen. And again, that just leaves the door wide open to fraudulent seafood entering, you know, this, this system of many buyers and sellers. You can keep talking. I'm going to go grab him. Sure. So what we do is, uh, you know, every packet, we have a, a catch batch number. And so you're able to go onto our website in the Find My Fish platform and trace it back to the fishing boat, the fishery, the species that's in the packet. Uh, and then we try to tell a story around, you know, you know, why is this a, a good species of source? You know, where, let's hear more about the fishery and let's talk about, you know, our, our sustainability, traceability partners, fish tracks in that. So yeah, there's a QR code on the back and, and a Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing the catch number, but I see a QR code on here. Yeah, so let's see. Yeah, so there's the expiration date serves mm-hmm. as a, we oh. recently updated that because uh, we noticed that the expiration dates were being printed on the bag, sometimes cutting off the end of that important mm. catch batch number. Oh. So for example, if you're on the page, you know, you put in 004 is, you know, a recent one and it'll pull up a map and the vessels and that's all of awesome. that. Um, and again, that's another opportunity, not only to guarantee that the fish is what it is, it's coming from uh, this great source, but to talk to people about why that's important. And maybe the first time somebody thinks about tracing their fish back to the source is when they eat a pack of this jerky. But let's hope that the next time you're at a restaurant or buying fish, they, the consumer remember asks that, the yeah. question, hey, yep. can you tell me where this is from? You know, tell me a little bit more about the fish I'm buying because I'm a conscious consumer and I care. Yep. Um, and I've, we really feel like that's where change that works back up the chain begins you know, at the consumer level. Yeah, definitely. I really admire how much of an emphasis one for Neptune puts on storytelling and I you you can see it throughout the website and then also with the QR code when you scan you get like the story of your fish so I'm just wondering what inspired you to really take that message and run with it because I think it's super up and coming to look at your product that way consumers love hearing the story of their product and I'm just wondering like where you got your idea from for that and how you've been able to implement it so well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. So I, actually, this is, this is really important in guiding the idea is that when I was in marine science in Monterey, I was always the fish guy. <clears throat> I've recently now become the fish jerky guy, but uh, <laughs> I always have been the fish guy in my family and with my friends. And the frequency that I would get a call or a text from you know, the grocery store or um, somebody at a supermarket Saying like, hey, you know, I'm standing in front of the fish counter. What is a barramundi? And is it from a clean source? And is mm-hmm. it tasty? 
And if so, how do I cook it? Please help me. And it was often people saying that, you know, they, they understand that seafood is healthy. I think it's one in five Americans have expressed a strong desire to add more seafood to their diets, 65 million people. If only it were a little more convenient and a little less confusing to do it. So yeah. that was always on my mind. And the fact that more and more people wanted to know they were making the right choice, but felt completely, you know, that they didn't have the information. And so often um, they don't know even the right questions to ask or have a way of knowing whether what the answer they're getting is, is honest or not. But so that was a big part of it, along with the experiences that I had in my studies and, and research. And then maybe the last part was I mentioned, and this will actually get into the name one for Neptune. I mentioned that I did several Trans-Pacific sailing trips with Stanford and SEA organization. And so we got to visit some of the most remote islands on the planet uh, for some of these research projects. And one of them, we were in the Phoenix Islands protected area. I think at this point where this story I'm telling, we were at Nikamaroro, which is like the fabled crash site of Amelia Earhart. Um, oh, nobody had yeah. been at the island oh, in that's cool. years and you know, it's, it's empty, desolate. And then you get into this pristine, gorgeous water where the reef looks incredibly healthy and you see a couple sharks with hooks in their mouths in the center of one of the biggest marine protected area. These, oh. It was the biggest now second biggest after the Ross sea marine protected areas in the world. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just a blatant example of what can happen when you don't when you have unregulated or like poor um, enforcement mm-hmm. of, of fisheries. And so I, I mentioned that this part of the story of One for Neptune comes from, or the name comes from that final trip I took. So on those tall, so these trips were done on, you know, two mass brigantine style sailing vessel. Uh, so looks cool. like a modern day pirate ship yeah, yeah. with, uh, you know, but equipped for modern science scientific research but you still wore eye patches and bandanas right exactly no whistling no no bananas on the boat yeah (laughs) um all all the things and (laughs) the most important and hallowed tradition of all is that on the the eve of your coming back to port so the end of the successful voyage you have what's called a swizzle which is sort of a party to commemorate the last you know the successful ocean crossing and everyone gathers and you know their one clean shirt that they've got left from the trip (laughs) and you get your swizzle drink um and the captain toasts thanks everyone for their hard work congratulates them on the safe passage but first and foremost pays homage to neptune the god of the sea for protecting them and and helping us on this crossing so he raises a glass and pours one for neptune into the sea and everyone pours a bit of their own drink and then, you know, the cheers and festivities begin. That's and that so was cool. like so impactful to me, you know, not only because of like the sentiment behind that, like we, we give back to that, which, you know, mm-hmm. helps and protects and feeds us, yep. but also the sort of more sentimental feeling of you just, you just crossed an ocean with this 40 person universe. That was, that yeah. was your whole life for this time. And it might be your last evening with them. So the, the camaraderie and the, the feeling of closeness of the crew and your fellow scientists and stuff is something that always kind of like, every time I, I just think of the name, it, it brings back those memories too. So it meant, it meant a lot personally to me too. That's awesome. That is such a cool story. Wow. That is a super cool story. And the logo is amazing. No, oh, thank you very much. Um, I want to talk about the packaging actually while we're, while we're on this topic, you have packed an ungodly amount of information into a package that is not <laughs> Not overwhelming and, and, and beautiful. Very attractive. It's a it's a really nice packaging, and you're hitting all the buzzwords: gluten free, nitrate free, dairy free, non GMO, high selenium, omega three. You know, you it's just it's a very it's an admirable package. This is I don't think a lot of people could design this. Did you have someone design this for you? Thank you. Um, yeah. So we had a young designer that we met. Um, actually, like I was at outdoor retailer in Denver. Um, we were just walking the floor, kind of seeing what that outdoor market was like. We had some samples in our backpack and I walked by a guy with a, a cool fish shirt on. I said, Hey, I like your shirt, man. And he <laughs> says, great. Thanks. I designed it. And we chat for a minute and kind of just uh, kept in touch. His name's Christian Johansson and flash forward five or six months when we were looking to design this, we gave him a call and he had actually never done, you know, a product package like this. So there was a lot of growth and learning on both of our sides, but I think yep. he appreciated the learning process as much as us. And we, as a team here at James and I are maybe overly thorough in how we think through things. Like even when we were considering the flavors to launch with, uh, which by the way, the flavors are smoked sea salt and juniper, honey, lemon, ginger, 
and fiery Cajun. Mm -hmm. We like, we spent a bunch of time mining both jerky recipes and snack food recipes, snack, salty snack food recipes from across the internet, I think like three, 400 and created a word cloud of like, you know, spicy, peppery, original. What are the words that yeah. are sort of showing up in across yeah, the yeah. industry? And it was clear that there was a cluster obviously around original, smoky, peppery. There was a cluster around sweet, honey, glaze, tangy, and, and then the spicy, zesty, fiery kind of. And so that was where we started with the food lab in terms of taking my original, the smoked sea salt and juniper was my original recipe I did at home. At that point, it was called Norse Smoke, actually, <laughs> an, an ode to the Vikings that yeah, you know, yeah. rode to war with dried fish in their long boats. But um, that's how we developed the, the other three recipes. So with that same philosophy with the packaging, you know, we put so much thought into like the color of the background, the aesthetic, the che- you know, the chevron, what feelings we wanted to convey and you know, how much information can we really put on there? Because I'm one to easily get carried away. <laughs> like, tell them everything about, you know, because we care so much about the sustainability story and the traceability. And, yeah, and well, I mean, I think it's just health. the right amount, you know. I appreciate that. It is yeah. a lot. You even got your autograph on the back. So every bag is autographed by CEO. Yeah. <laughs> so, check that out. And we'll if anyone wants sure to, to... Uh, forge, a, forge a check there, you can. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Noted. Thank you for that. <laughs> we got the okay. <laughs> But so uh, if, if you want to, if you want to hear something funny, actually, even you notice that the background of the package is a kind of a coastal map. Yeah. yeah. So the, our designer studied cartography in his undergrad. So he was, he was totally into the idea of putting a map, but we couldn't quite find something that looked right. And I was back home visiting my parents and walked by this kind of curio that had my sister's graduation diploma in it that just happened to have this like yield map of coastal California. And I took it out and I took a photo of it and I said, hey, this is more or less what we're looking for. And he took that and he rendered it into the actual image we use for our package. So this is my sister's college graduation uh, <laughs> diploma on the backdrop of yeah. the package. Wow. That's yeah. kind of cool. I bet she likes that. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, it's got it's cool because it's got that kind of old school modern aesthetic that's really popular right now. Right. So. Yeah. And for all of you listeners that can't visualize the packaging, we'll have a link in the show notes to One for Neptune website where you can see all of the beautiful packaging. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the flavors. So this is this is going to be the the best part for Justin because he's the only one here that hasn't tried it yet. I'm <laughs> signing off. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Um. So we, like I said, we tried all of them like an hour ago for the first time and uh, we love them all. And also, Sean, I don't think you mentioned there was a giant crowd around the lunch table, yeah, like people were clamoring really to get some. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a lot of people that wanted to try it out and mixed reviews, but I think overall everyone thought it was really good. Yeah. I know, I think my order would be honey, lemon, ginger for my top. All right. And then fiery Cajun and then the um, sea salt and juniper would be my third choice personally. And I I think it's because of the fishiness. You know, the the first two, especially the fiery Cajun, doesn't really have much of a fishy taste at all to it. Um, like I was saying to me, I didn't taste fish. I didn't feel like I was eating fish until after I was done with it. And then you get a little bit of the aftertaste of that kind of smoky fish mm-hmm. smell in your nose kind of. But other than that, it, it just tastes like delicious beef jerky, dried dried meats can't go wrong mm-hmm. with dried meat so um what do you have a favorite of your flavors are there other flavors that you would like to try and incorporate or yeah we're taking suggestions we definitely have a, a laundry list of what could be the next skew but mm-hmm. um i personally like the fiery cajun you know new mexico roots and there you go that, that yeah. spicy behind it i also think it has kind of just this like richness of the combination of spices that's really nice but in terms of like what people review like we, we just checked our sales and it's literally almost, it's like 33, oh. 32, 34%. Wow. Because yeah. everyone has their, everyone their has one their that own they love. Taste, yeah. And yeah, and you know, I was worried about the smoked sea salt and juniper because juniper is something that not, you know, isn't so common and can be polarizing. You know, if, if those of you aren't familiar, it's uh, what's used in gin to give it its distinctive taste. And actually the juniper that we use are spent botanicals from a gin distiller um, oh, cool. So an, uh, another upcycled ingredient that would yeah. have gone to waste. Yeah. That's cool. Um, that's cool. But the, you know, that's a, it's an interesting word that'll draw people's attention. Like, oh, this sounds in- intriguing. I wonder what this tastes like. So. Um, yeah. So I, I like the fire Cajun, but it's cool to be, we were just at Denver at Slow Food Nations, which is kind of the biggest 
sustainable local food event around and uh we completely sold out a product early on the second day nice um so i was just kind of standing and people were actually lining up just to talk about it after we were finished with samples which i thought was so incredible and in terms of the tasting you know i would always ask and there's five people tasting and they two people point to one two people point to another which was your favorite one guy even like he ate a whole tray of the cajun and he's like so tell is this grass fed? Do you raise these cattle? And I'm like, no, man, that's fish. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. Um, did you go to the Boston Seafood Show too? We did. Yeah. yeah. We, um, we had never been before. We actually were, uh, our, the fiery Cajun that I was just talking about was one of the eight finalists for best new product at the show. Of the oh, year. awesome. So Congratulations. Was a good honor. And, um, it was nice. It was a nice way to visit for the first time for that reason and um mm-hmm. we exhibited good stuff awesome good stuff uh, i i don't have any recommendations for flavors but i know my wife always gets um teriyaki when she gets beef jerky so she'd probably appreciate that i told yeah. her about i told her we have a big hiking trip coming up and i told her we're going to need to get some of this for our trip that it was really good and she's really excited to try it so. <laughs> absolutely I'll have to send you some more. <laughs> yeah, please do. Always welcome. <laughs> if any of our listeners want to send us stuff too, that's always. <laughs> I'll send in my, my the dates that I'm in the office so that I'll make sure. That... <laughs> it arrives on the day because yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. won't yeah, yeah, yeah. be around very long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where can people buy this product? So um, we started out all e-commerce. So when we launched after the Kickstarter, we launched on our website and kind of built that out. And so you can get it on oneforneptune.com and spelled out O-N-E-F-O-R-N-E-P-T-U-N-E. Or we've uh, also been on Amazon now for a couple months and that has been a really great area of growth and yeah, I think that's awareness where we got it too there. Oh yeah, there yep. you go. So um, Two-day shipping, baby. And uh, if you're, you know, I, I don't want to start naming stores, but we're in about 30 or 40 stores, mostly on the West Coast and okay. a, yep. a couple scattered uh, East Coast like seafood and wine shops, but mm-hmm. especially in the Bay Area, places like Berkeley Bowl and Staff of Life in Santa Cruz. It's the um, kind of nice, you know, whole food uh, co-op type stores. Excellent. Cool. That's amazing. That seems like a lot for just having been out for not even a full year yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, l- listen, months, when you're the, coming up on. When you're the wow. number one food product on Kickstarter, you know, you can, <laughs> you can move pretty quickly. <laughs> There's yeah, so, I kind of feel like I, we blinked and we're just, you know, figuring it out on the fly, how to, how to manage uh, you know, what we're doing. <laughs> so what's next for you guys? Do you have any plans for the future? I know you mentioned new flavors, but anything else? Yeah, we, without revealing too much, we've been working on R&D for some other non-jerky seafood-based snack products. Oh, cool. Um, so maybe like more single serving, possibly even like a seaweed-based vegan product. Oh, um, cool. That one's probably a little bit further down down the line, but um, we actually got a, a grant to do some R&D and play around with our, our product. So stay tuned. We're, we're committed to doing it. If, if I could just step aside from my emails and, and all yeah. the calls and meetings, yeah. and I would just be in the kitchen and in the lab. But oh, uh, Sorry to add to that schedule. No, this is a, a joy and a pleasure speaking oh. with you guys. So. And if you need tasters, I'm always there. <laughs> well, I, I will Do say um, in regards to the uh, the seaweed-based vegan option, you know, we did interview uh, the guy from Seagrove Kelp Company up in Alaska who is growing. He's farming kelp up there. If you would like me to introduce you, I'd be happy to do that. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, one of the greatest joys of all of us is, is meeting amazing people doing doing great stuff. Yeah. You guys and everybody that, that we're able to reach out to and in some cases partner with kind of in the space. It's, it's, there's always time for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what you guys are doing. I mean, I think that there's a huge hole in the industry of like easy to use, quick seafood snacks. And you guys are just filling that hole so flawlessly and we, we need more of that. So I'm, and, I'm interested you. to see where you guys go from here. And I think that when people think of seafood, you know, they tend to think that it's more expensive than the other foods that they eat. And in regards to like, if you compare this to the pricing of your product, Jackson, come on. <laughs> come on, man. Dogs, dogs don't have money. So <laughs> if you, yeah, if you, if you, if you compare the, um, you know, the pricing of your, a bag of your jerky to a bag of commercial beef jerky i mean there's it's right on par it's not like you're paying 
more because this is fish. Yeah. And I mean, especially 20 grams of protein in a pack and mm-hmm. 60, yeah. 70 calories is like a great ratio. And 560 omega-3s, it's, it hits a lot of those points. You know, rockfish is one of the richest sources of selenium that you can get, which is not super well known, but it's also really hard to get in your diet. And there's new studies linking a lack of selenium to like infertility and other you know, cardiovascular health mm-hmm. issues and things that um, I think that's going to be something that as people grow more aware of that. But that's the great thing about seafood is it has all those, you know, the, the vitamins that often you don't get. Uh, and then obviously the the clean protein and yeah 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 and low calories i mean the fiery cajun is 60 calories per serving yeah Yeah. that's crazy i mean that's with all those vitamins yeah i mean it's a no-brainer man i love it i want some more of it (laughs) (laughs) i told you to save me some i'm saving you some justin i told justin (laughs) i'm saving all the the pieces that people don't want so he's getting um dried rockfish cloaca Um, just kidding that's not in the bag don't worry about that (laughs) we'll cut that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but Justin, you will get some, I promise. All right. I I'll believe keep, you. I'll keep it in the office. Uh, anything else that you want to get out there that you want to talk about? Any other fun stories that you want to share? Or, you know, this has been great having you on. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I don't even remember all the stories I've told at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's been, a, it's been a total pleasure. And I guess on our end, our, our hope for the space is that more people enter it with healthy, sustainable seafood products. You know, we don't. We don't feel much competition even between other fish jerkies or other products. Even this weekend at that festival, a guy came over with his laptop and he's like, I came all the way from Alaska and see the show. And I wanted to talk to you because I want to do a boat to package salmon jerky and kind of told bolster. I said, let's, let's talk. I'll, Mm -hmm. you guys are going to do a Kickstarter. We can talk you through what we did. Not that we're, we're experts, but we learned along the way. Oh, you did something, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hoping I'm seeing the, you know, last year was the greatest jump in national seafood consumption in decades. And I think that trend's going to continue. So hopefully all these forces combined for, for there to end up producing more seafood on the center of uh, Americans' plates or yes. backpacks or desk drawers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. If and more uh, confident consumers too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You got anything, Maddie? I'm good. Justin? Yeah, if, if any of our... Um, listeners want to reach out or they have questions or concerns is the best place to reach out through the contact page on the web on the web page yeah absolutely that goes directly to all three of our our founders so oh excellent <laughs> they'll make sure to link to yeah. that in the in the show notes uh, do you autograph your emails yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should <laughs> awesome well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. We love the stories that you told. We love the product and uh, the movement you're trying to create, and you're doing a great job, man. Yeah, keep up. up the great work. Th- Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for what you do and helping us get the word out and helping other other people in the space get the word out. So you keep up the great work. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll let you know uh, if how much it helps me get up that mountain on my big trip. So. Oh, yeah. You'll... <laughs> You'll break break your personal record. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure I will. <laughs> All right. All well, right. thank you so much, Nick. It was so great to talk to you. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Time, All, right. All right. Take care. Folks, that was our episode with Nick Mendoza from One for Neptune. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm always excited to talk about dried meats, as I mentioned in the beginning. That was a fun conversation, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a... It was a really, really interesting... I mean, the stories that he told, particularly when he talks about how they came up with the name. Like, that's a really... That was a really cool story. I love that story. And he just has so many cool experiences to share. So I'm really glad that we got to get him on the podcast. Yeah. So Justin was not in the room with us when we recorded. He was on the road, but we got him in there. So yeah, you can still hear my sexy voice. All, Don't worry about it. All three of us <laughs> are finally back together for an episode. And once we all got back together, we wanted to talk about the nutrition facts of this product because it tastes just like beef jerky. It has a little bit of a fishy aftertaste, but it basically in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, that's not to turn tasting fishy away. does not mean bad. I mean, it's 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 yummy fish. It's, it's good quality fish, so it's going to taste good. But it ultimately tastes a lot like beef jerky. And so we did a little, Justin and I did a little comparison between the nutrition of one of the most popular brands of beef jerky. Which and, we'll leave out, but popular, yes. And we compared it to the nutrition facts of one for Neptune's fish jerky. And this, the one example we're using specifically is the fiery Cajun flavoring. So we're just going to go down the list real quick and do a quick comparison. Justin's going to read the beef jerky nutrition facts and i'm going to read the one for neptune 
facts. Boom, here we go. Calories, 80, 60. Total fat, one gram, half a gram. Cholesterol, 25 milligrams. Same. Sodium, 460 milligrams. One for Neptune, sodium content, 150 milligrams. Huge. Huge. Huge difference. Total carbohydrates, 6 grams. 4 grams. Sugars, 6. 3. Protein, 11. 10. And this is where there's some things in the seafood or the fish jerky that's not in the beef jerky. Uh, but the only thing I add here is iron, one milligram. Yeah, there's no iron listed on this, but there is 228 milligrams of potassium and 50% of your daily intake of selenium in this. So, and I, and I want it to be known that the serving sizes are the same for both, about one ounce, yep. 1.1 ounce for the fish. Um, and that's there's two servings per container, so it's half a bag. So, I mean, you eat a full bag of this, that's 100% of your daily selenium requirement. I wonder how many of our listeners are going, what is that and why is it important? Do you know the answer to that? No. I I know that when we spoke with, if you remember, you can listen to uh, our interview with uh, Sherry Clark, who talks about the importance of That's selenium. It's, it's similar to uh, omega-3s, where something that our body needs, and we get it in great abundance from fish. So, But yeah, it was really good, and it was a really cool conversation. I'm really excited. Can we read the uh, the front of the package? What are those highlighted items? Yeah, um, they're hitting all the right buzzwords. Uh, they have gluten-free, nitrate-free, dairy-free, non-GMO, high selenium, and omega-3s. 20 grams of protein per bag, so... And I would recommend following One for Neptune on Instagram because they post some really cool content and they continue to tell these interesting stories and it just makes you want to eat more fish jerky. (laughs) So we'll link to that in our show notes. So if you want to find them on Instagram, please go check them out and give them a follow. And if you'd like to keep up with what we do on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at aquademiapod and if you'd like to get in touch with us feel free to email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or leave us a voicemail at 1-603-384-3560 and if you like what we're doing here make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a written review we do want to hear from our audience and as always this is not the only thing that we do we have a lot of extra content and a lot of cool things that are available to our members and if you are not a member you should check it out www.aquaculturealliance.org slash membership check it out thanks for listening peace Thank you.